Hey, good morning, uh, Grace City Church. Uh, we're into week two of the Apostles' Creed. And uh, I won't go through the long introduction that I did last week, uh, but just to say there's some things that I said the Apostles' Creed uh, isn't. Uh, it's not the Bible, so it's a summary of truth that's found in the Bible. And every week when we look at a line or a phrase in the Apostles' Creed, we'll always go to the Bible. So the, the, the Apostles' Creed isn't the Bible. It's summarizing truth that's found in the Bible. That's the first thing to say. And the second thing is it's not the only creed, uh, but it actually is one of the very earliest creeds, probably around the third century, maybe into the fourth. Uh, and it's, it's a very short summary, which helps us. Otherwise, we'd be here for a long time going through some of the other creeds. It's a very succinct, accurate summary of, of the Christian faith. And so we'll do this over the next few months, probably up to the end of November. Uh, also, I said last week, there's nothing mystical about the Apostles' Creed. So as we read it together, if you read it yourself out loud, uh, it doesn't bring you good luck. It doesn't help you with your job prospects or your relationships. Uh, but having said that, it is powerful because you're speaking out truth. And when it's possible for us to meet together, which I hope we will be able to do soon, uh, it actually, it, physically I mean, it actually, it, there's power released, I believe, when we speak out this creed, when we confess it out aloud together, because it brings unity uh, to us as a church and to our church community. So I did a much fuller explanation of that last week. I'd encourage you, if you didn't get to hear week one of this series, just go back and find that. I'm sure it's on the website. Uh, Go and do that. This this week, so last sorry, last week we we looked at uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, and we looked at the fatherhood of God. That first line just continues. So it's I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And so this week uh, we'll look at uh, God the Creator, uh, God the Creator of heaven and earth. I uh, know creation is a huge subject in itself. I can't cover everything. Uh, in one uh, talk like this, uh, but I can just throw some thoughts out to you uh, and we'll look at some scriptures and I would encourage you if you wanted to do your own research on these things because as Christians we should be able to answer questions about creation and evolution and was this universe created and why do we believe it was created? So uh, I'm going to open up the Bible immediately, Hebrews 11 verse uh, 1 to 3 says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And we'll come back to this verse. So I believe as a Christian that the best explanation for the universe and the world we live in and what I see today around me uh, is found in the Apostles' Creed. The, ex the best explanation I can think of is found in the Apostles' Creed. However, many, and particularly where I've ministered for many years in Berlin, would say that's nonsense. And I'm sure there would be people in, in, in Ottawa who would say it's nonsense. There might be many who would say, yeah, I kind of believe it, but they haven't really thought about the impact on their own lives if it's really true. So what, what I want to do is, is just try and give you on this huge subject just three headings today, and we'll work through it uh, fairly rapidly. The first heading I've got here is, is the God who creates. 
So I, I, I want to make some points about actually uh, how science, I believe, points as much, if not more, to creation than it does to a, an atheistic evolutionary answer. And that's not to say I'm not anti-science at all. I believe in science. I think science is great. I think it's common grace from God. I thank God for doctors. Uh, uh, I thank God for medicine. Uh, I thank God for scientific breakthrough. I think it's all amazing. But uh, sometimes we can get into a way of thinking that somehow science has just disproved uh, creation. Uh, it's almost like you've got to throw your brains out to believe this stuff. And I want to say I don't think that's true. Uh, I, I think science cannot disprove or prove God. It's like trying to measure uh, the taste of purple. You can't measure the taste of a color. It, 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 me measuring God and, and then being able to go into a laboratory science-wise and measure something, it's just two completely different things. You can't put theology, knowledge about God, into a science lab and expect to get an answer. It just doesn't work. Thing, you're talking about different things. That's the first thing I, I want to say. It's like a different category. It just doesn't make sense to do it. It's silly to try and do that. And secondly, I, I want to say on this first heading about the God who creates that science, in my, in, in, in my view, sometimes seems to point more to the creation story than to saying this is all chance. And I'm going to give you five very quick headings. All they're going to be is headings. Each one of them deserve more explanation. Uh, I'm going to give you some headings and follow me. It's hard to follow me, I know, because normally I'd have a screen behind me with these points coming up and even some pictures of some of these things. So I'll try and go carefully through this for you. So we're still under the first heading. This is why I think science may seem to point more to God than no God, uh, or at least it should raise some serious questions that need debate. The first one of these is the missing links, what I've called the missing links. Uh, many Christians um, uh, would, would say, actually, that they do believe in some form of evolution within a, within a species, theolistic evolution it tends to be called but i'm not talking about that today what i'm what i'm talking about is is the belief that somehow today when we look at the world and we look at ourselves it's all come from a single cell an amoeba uh, that, that that went to a fish to a reptile to a bird to mammals to somehow to and then into apes and then into primitive mankind and then into modern mankind we see today and less complex to more complex and uh, it's kind of a godless, uh, unguided process that just happens by pure chance. I want to say to you, um, the missing links are a big issue in that. Let me just quote you something uh, from Charles Darwin. So these are the words of Charles Darwin himself. He says this, The number of intermediate varieties which have formerly existed on the earth must be truly enormous. Why then is not every geological formation full of such intermediate links? Geology assuredly does not reveal any such finely graduated organic chain, and this perhaps is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be argued against my theory. It hasn't really changed, really, since Darwin wrote that. The intermediate links, uh, geology isn't full of the intermediate links, and it should be, and Darwin himself says that. Uh, uh, they're not a challenge to the Christian narrative or the Apostles' Creed. In some ways, it, it causes what we find today in the Apostles' Creed to make more sense. It's worthy of an hour by itself. 
So that's the first thing, uh, the missing links. The second thing is what, what I've called the law of entropy, which means uh, chaos or disorder. And uh, headline is the second, second law of thermodynamics. You never thought you'd hear that in church. The second law of thermodynamics says that entropy in a system is, is slow and normally unstoppable, nearly always unstoppable, in fact. So everything, everything that we observe goes from order to chaos if left by itself. So if you leave a garden by itself, if you tend a garden and then you walk away, you come back in a year, you have a jungle. You have what seems like chaos. Everything, I could go through many things. Everything that you leave by itself just goes from order to chaos, normally slowly, but, but never stops. It just happens. It's the law of entropy. It's, 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 it's not disputed. It happens. But with evolution, with us going, going from a single cell to where we are today, it's the opposite. So what we're saying is that actually this left by itself has gone uh, from just a single cell to huge complexity. And that kind of goes against the second law of thermodynamics. It doesn't really make sense in that order should go to chaos, not chaos into order. Uh, again, Andrew Wilson uh, says this, if you came across a place that had bucked the trend towards disorder, a place where total chaos had turned into something of astonishing order and beauty rather than the other way round, where, for instance, you started with a bang and you end up with a brain, you might think that some mind or some sort of gardener was behind it all. The third thing uh, that we just need to think about with science is why it's not clear is some organisms couldn't seem to have evolved and even science cannot seem to explain some of the structures we see they're too complex they're too mature they're too intricate if one part is missing it doesn't work and there's many examples of things and these these things they nudge me towards the creator it's like the eye, it's like the ear. That The more I study these things, the complexity of these things is how do they just happen? Uh, it's something called the mousetrap theory, which is that you need seven parts to make a mousetrap work. You take one part out and it doesn't work. Uh, how, how did some of these things in nature, did they just happen? Because they don't work unless all the parts are there together and it kind of all happens in the same moment. It just doesn't work. It's like there's something called a flagellum. There's a bacteria with a tail. Uh, I haven't got time to explain it, how it works and what it does, but it, it kind of it, there's, a, there's a tail that there's a tail on it that propels it inside our own cells in our body, and it does specific work, and it the, the, it doesn't work without this tail that's propelling it. And so, how did that just how did that happen? How did it just know it needed to grow a tail to do the things it does? I don't know. Uh, you can study this more. Go away and look it up. I can't go into it in any detail today. There's some organisms that if we stop and think about them, you think, how can this be? How can this just have happened unguided, just random process? Fourth thing is this. I've called it extraordinary DNA. Uh, DNA provides information within cells that tell cells what to do, uh, and they make who you are. So it's your heart, your tissue, your hair, the color of your eyes, etc., etc. And both Christian and uh, atheist scientists agree that DNA is a code or a language for passing on information. 
My question is, so where did this language or code come from? Has this language or code literally just come out of nothing through random chance? If, 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 you, if you go to, uh, you, you, we find today in caves and other places, very ancient uh, pictures uh, scratched onto walls, carvings of animals and other things. And you don't go there and think, well, I think the wind somehow got here and blew the sand in, uh, and the wind blew this way, and the sand went across here, and then the sand came this way, and somehow this pictures emerged on the wall. You'd never think that. You'd think, oh, a, a mind, a brain, some intelligence has drawn this on the wall. It didn't just happen. The wind didn't just blow, and somehow by random charts you get this picture on the wall. But we seem to apply it to, 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 to other things. DNA is a code and like a language. Where did it come from? Did you say he's telling me this ran this code just randomly happened that's passed on through DNA? I don't think it is. Uh, one final thing. Um, one final thing on this is uh, what I've called is the super high odds, uh, and then we'll move off this. Sorry, this is a bit of an apologetic about creation, but I think it's important for us as Christians that we don't retreat from these things. The super high odds, let me quickly say this. Scientists tell us the chance of a universe without some sort of creator is at extraordinarily high odds. 25 constants have to be in place for the universe to exist in the way it does. And if, if, if 16 of the 25 are out by one millionth of a percent, then it, nothing happens. It doesn't happen. Okay. That, that just for life to exist, there has to be an amazing, what I've called a, a cocktail of things in place that all come together in just the right amounts and at the right moment in the right way and interact with each other in the right way. We could go through things. There's a nuclear constant, there's gravitational constant, there's electromagnetic constant, there's magnetic fields, there's liquid water. The specific distance between planets and, and the galaxy and our sun, and I could go on and on. Sir Roger Penrose a professor who's a professor physicist he's actually an atheist this this man is an atheist has put all this together and worked out the odds of everything aligning so this is an atheist saying this he's come up with a figure uh which is um uh, one to the power of 10 uh with 12,300 noughts after it as a number now normally i put this on a screen behind me and it just fills the screen with noughts just think about it. It's one to the power of 10 with, with 12,300 noughts after it. Is that He's calculated as an atheist of the chances of everything happening to work out the way we see things today. So does it make more sense to believe that there's a creator behind this or all this just happened by random chance? See, many in Berlin would say this is nonsense. Okay, this is just, it's all unguided. It's all a natural process. I think probably the city we're in, in, in Ottawa, I think many might kind of believe that there is a creator, actually. But what I think they wouldn't do, maybe, is think about the impact that has on their lives then. So how does this affect their lives? And that's what we just need to start to talk about. So my, my second heading is, so that was God the creator. The second thing I want to say is, is, is the creator and ownership. What does this mean for us if this is true? See, if, if God is a creator of all things, then he owns everything. It's not a popular thing to say. We don't like that thought. Hey, I own myself. This is my life. I can do what I want with my life. No one tells me how to run my life. 
But if there's a creator, if God has such authority that he spoke the universe into being and he created us and we're created beings, then surely he, he kind of owns us. We're his. Not a pleasant thought for many. Go back again, Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. That's what the Bible says. God, it's all yours. You've made it. God doesn't answer to anyone. Why should he? Give you a quote. There's a man, a German called Thomas Nagel, who, who was an atheist, didn't believe in God. And he, he said something very, I found very interesting. He says, I want atheism to be true. I want it to be true. And I'm un, made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God. It's that I actually hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. What he's, what he's getting at, he doesn't want the, the thought of a creator, the thought of it being true, means maybe we're just not in control of everything. There's something greater than us. It's not just my life. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. We are the clay. You're the potter. We're the work of your hands. It's not unguided, random chance. or Somehow we're just clever enough to work this all out ourselves. We're the clay. You're the potter. And we're being molded by your hands. It's uncomfortable. When I look in the Bible and I see people that really meet God, not just know about God, but meet God, it tends to have dramatic effects on them. I think of Isaiah. When Isaiah sees God, he, he falls down. I think of when John, the Apostle John, has his revelation of the risen Christ in Revelation 1. It says he falls on his face as though dead. And Jesus has to tell him not to be afraid and get up. Don't be afraid. It's like we see God. People see God in the Bible. It's like, oh, you're the creator of all things. We're created beings. See, we like to build our own lives. But I think this is a battleground because if it's true, if, we, if people start to say, no, okay, I believe this. I believe there is a God that created this he the heavens and the earth and the universe and everything we see in us. It changes everything. It means we're not just ourselves anymore. There's a creator and we're created people. It should change the way we live. It should change all the decisions we make. It should change everything. So the God who creates... The impact on us should be, it's about ownership, the God, God and ownership. He's our creator, he's our owner. The marvellous thing is, he's good. 
we think of owners as being bad. It's a bad thing. Oh, being owned by the God of the Bible. Wonderful. He's our Father. He's a good God. He's got good gifts for us. Let me say the third, the third thing, and I'll finish with this. I called this the creator who serves and dies, or the creator who gives up his life. It's one of the most profound, extraordinary things you'll ever find in the Bible. It's what makes the gospel so remarkable. Who could have ever thought this up? <laughs> the creator of the heavens and the earth would come to serve created people and ultimately die on a cross. See, I believe in the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I believe that all this was created out of an overflow of joy in the Trinity. It looked good to them. Genesis 1 says that. It's good. We've messed it up. I think the universe speaks of the extravagance of God, <laughs> the creative wonder of God. 100,000 years to cross, I think, uh, our galaxy at the speed of light. There's billions of galaxies in the universe. If you looked at a picture, uh, you'd find our Earth is kind of towards the side of the known universe. Jesus, the Bible says, made it all. Hebrews 1.3 says he sustains the universe by the power of his word. He sees he keeps things spinning by his power. He made the stars. He made everything we see around us. He was there at creation, and now he sustains it by power. I find it extraordinary that Jesus Christ entered this world. We see him entering the world in a place where animals were kept in a small town in the Middle East and he's the one that sustains the universe by power he comes among us he walks among us he walks dusty roads he gets betrayed he gets tired he gets misunderstood he gets physically beaten he gets put on a cross this is the one who was there at creation, who upholds the universe by power of his word, comes and walks the earth for us. This is the wonder of the gospel. This is amazing grace. John, the Apostle John says this in John 1.14. He says, and the word, that's Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. What does he mean? Well, he's seen him calm a storm. He's seen him call dead people out. 
He's seen him heal whole towns and regions and villages. He's seen extraordinary teaching. He's seen him put the ear back on a Roman soldier after it was cut off by Peter. We've seen his glory. You've even got Roman soldiers falling on the ground. Whoa, who is he? In the boat when he calms the storm, they're, they're actually more terrified of Jesus than they are of the storm. You think, why? It's like when Jesus fills up two, boat, two boats with so much fish. Peter's reaction, Peter doesn't say, thanks, Jesus. He goes, get away from me. I'm sinful. Something of the majesty of who Jesus is shines through. John says, we've seen his glory. The transfiguration up the mountain. Suddenly you see who Jesus really is. Upholds the universe. And yet he comes and walks the earth to rescue us. Fights his way through Gethsemane. Prays through, God, let this cup be taken from me. No, no, it's your will, Father. I'll do it. It's your will. I'll go to the cross. Obedience to the end and knows what it is to be separated from the Father. But God, by mighty power, raises him from the dead on the third day, conquers an enemy that we could never conquer, even death itself. But he comes, this creator comes and walks the earth. This is the gospel. See, so I look at the story of Thomas, the, man, the, the disciple who doubted, and in the end, he finds Jesus. And, and Jesus says to him, look, put your finger here on my hand, Thomas, See the holes in my hands. So it's put your hand, up, finger on, in my side where the spear went in. And what's Thomas's reaction? He doesn't go, oh, okay, okay, Jesus, I, I get it. It's recorded in John chapter 20 that Thomas says, he doesn't say very much. He just says, my Lord, my God. There's, 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 a, there's a realization, there's a... There's a Revelation of who Jesus is. My Lord. My Lord. You're my owner. You're my God. You're the master of everything. See, when I survey the wondrous cross, is an old hymn, and it would be good for us to sing it in a moment. This is amazing grace. The Creator comes and dies for us to give us life eternal, to put things back the way they should be, to start the process of renewal and regeneration. He brings in a new kingdom, a new way of living, a new way of relating to God. Put your trust in the Creator. Don't, don't doubt. You can explore these things, but put your trust in God. If He's the Creator, if He really is, this is true, let Him mold you. Let him shape you. He'll do it well. He knows better than I do about myself. I trust him to mold me. Be like Thomas, my Lord, my God. It's you. Let's sing together.